Quick disclaimer, due to the effects of COVID-19, James is recording some of these episodes virtually. And in this episode, it results in a slight delay between him and his guest. No one is trying to interrupt each other, it's just the pleasures of recording over a video call. Anyway, let's get on with today's episode. You found us, the second episode of the new series of Rocket Fuel, the podcast that lives at the apex of technology, culture and commerce. And we are talking youth marketing and youth culture as we always do. And we wanted to find out a little bit more about China. What are the social media habits that Chinese people have? What can they look to? And what can we learn from the future of social media in this territory when we look at it through the prism of the Chinese marketplace. We have a top guest, Alicia Liu. She is responsible for showcasing Chinese brands to Western audiences and making things work, vice versa, how Western brands uh, can work with Chinese markets. We have a really long and good chat with Alicia. We're also going to check in with our Rocket colleague, Sophie Thurwell, to have a conversation about the Chinese market. So stay tuned as we find out Alicia Liu's Rocket Fuel. So I'm delighted to say this week's guest on Rocket Fuel is Alicia Liu. She's in, Chi- in charge of China brand strategy at Singing Grass Communications. Alicia, that, that sounds a very grand title. Tell us about your background. How have you, how have you got to leading the China brand strategy at Singing Grass Communications? What's been your journey? Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me, James. It's, I guess it's China is kind of on everybody's radar at the moment. And I am Chinese, um, but kind of lived in the UK for a long time. So to kind of, I guess, keep it short, my connection with the UK started when there was, I guess, very little that I heard my my family talking about my grandfather actually translated and um, published the, the novel of uh, David Copperfield by Charles Dickens in the what? 1940s, yeah, in Shanghai. So it's kind of fascinated by the UK from a, a distance. You know, I was born in Beijing, but my real fascination, I guess, was, was with the UK was when I started in early 2000, when I moved here to study and really witnessed this kind of real interesting combination of the old and new, you know, that kind of yep. culture-led urban regeneration. I was fascinated by East London, in fact, I actually did my master's dissertation on a comparison of that London Shoreditch Triangle versus a Beijing uh, a place called 798, which is a formal kind of military factory built by the East Germans in China in the 50s, which now turned into a extremely trendy art district. You know, the yeah. fashion brands, everybody's setting up there. Like I said, growing up in Beijing and finished my university studies in the UK, um, I didn't think about, you know, going into marketing. Actually, to start with, I, I first worked as a researcher for an art library in New York wow. uh, before I, I coming back to the UK. And there was a time in mid-2000, you know, the mayor of London was setting up a, a culture strategy team. Um, you know, they want to position London as a center for creative industries, you know, destination yeah. for education as well as investment from China. And that's 
really the time I joined, you know, started working on, on marketing for the emerging market. And yeah, and that's how I guess it's all started the journey. And what's the scope of your role now? So you advise UK brands about how to talk to Chinese people and how to talk to China and untap the markets of China. Is that broadly correct? Yes, I think so. I think essentially seeing grass, we are a business strategy advising on, you know, the kind of access and development strategies for brands for the Chinese market. We very much specialize in the creative industry. So we're working with clients ranging from, you know, big entertainment groups looking at their IP, how to best tailor it for the Chinese market to lifestyle brands looking at the emerging trends for Chinese consumers. Um, but really, I think I, I set up the agency uh, with a consultancy about eight years ago. I think it was a time I was I was really trying to address that kind of major contradictions between a quite traditional marketing approach of some some brands to a you know young and sophisticated, in fact, very well educated, discerning Chinese consumers of today, really. Let's get to know you a little bit better as an operator. Um, what what are you known for professionally? What would people say about you? I think people say I'm very committed. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, it's, you know, it's not easy trying to combine the two because China and the West are so different in so many ways. And, and my work, I guess, both professionally and personally, I'm I'm riding this parallel life, really. Yeah. And trying to yeah. combine the two. So you have to be quite committed in order to do it. I mean, you've yeah, you mentioned just before we started recording this parallel life that you mentioned, you've even got two different names. So you're like yes. a superhero in many respects. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Definitely. <laughs> um, but but I guess you have to be quite passionate about, uh, you know, about what you do. And I, I remember when I started my career, I had this amazing mentor who was a broadcaster at the BBC at, at that time. And he said, you have to find out what you're passionate about and what you're good at doing and then and, and you know try and combine those two and I suppose that's what I'm trying to do at the moment that I'm passionate to bridging those two different cultures and, and minds and 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 pretty I guess hopefully good at doing it as well. And this passionate quality is that the quality you look for in people around you or is there something else or do you want everybody to bring something different to the workplace who do you surround yourself with that's a great question I suppose I kind of subconsciously I am you know meeting people in in those you know both worlds and they they have they're quite rooted in what they do I think I've met some great you know brands operators who are so good at what they do but mainly dominant in the in the kind of western international market i've also met some great you know chinese colleagues and clients who are equally very good at what they do but just working in china you know understand how it works in in the in the chinese consumer market and i guess our beauty is is to be the bridge that bridging those two Sure. I guess I, I love meeting people in both worlds and also meet like-minded people. You know, people are committed to that kind of, you know, global operations, not just kind of within their own little world as well. And then final question in this section, as we're getting to know you, Alicia, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? What's the one thing that stayed with you in terms of advice? I think is is um, you have to be brave to keep trying 
I think trying to do something different because I I think that's in a way I I I didn't have a conventional career. I think in a way I kind of I've always worked here. I've worked in Asia, worked in Hong Kong, working art fairs, and you know moving back to the UK, working on book fairs when China was a guest owner. Kind of I was always looking for a way to bridge my life, you know, between China and the, and the West, but but actually. Is by through trying doing it, you actually build a career. Uh, you know, kind of helping other people to do that. So I think it's 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 quite interesting reflecting back, like you said, uh, probably ten years on, you realize this is a a career on its own. But traditionally, you know, it isn't what people do here in the UK or people what what people do in China either. So I'm still here with Alicia. Second part of our conversation is going to be around your role, your business, Alicia. Um, I really want to open the the ears of our listeners to China and to get a slightly better understanding of the, the kind of the whys, the wherefores. How is China different and how is China the same as, if you like, the marketing landscape that we know over here? Sure. Well, first of all, China is very different. I guess for you know, for any anyone who haven't been to China, it's yeah. it's 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 politically it's different landscape and culturally, you know, people speak completely different language. Chinese it's it's character based. Visually, it's very different. But I guess I I could start with my personal experience growing up in China in the eighties. You know, strangely, there were plenty of international kids TV brought to China at that time. And, you know, not only from North America, I grew up watching Mickey Mouse as well. But right. there were shows from Central Europe, like my favorite character was a cartoon from a Czech Republic. Okay. So, you know, strangely, China has always been actually quite open. I would say in the past, you know, 25 years or so, open to Western storytelling and i guess here you know we talk about youth marketing the, the kind of kids media opportunities in china and also becoming huge really yeah. just getting bigger all the time um i remember when we first worked on the shanghai international children's book fair that's back in 2013 and that was when china still had a single child policy you know, right. it's, it's, it's quite different, but you could start to seeing the trends that the, the young millennial parents started investing heavily in their children's future. And then here comes in 2016, China announced the second child, you know, now they allowed the second child yeah. again. And fast forward, literally, actually, China just announced in this this July would allow couples to have up to three children. Yeah. You know, it's all with the concern of the aging population. So China is very different in so many ways. And yet everything is changing so fast. And, and what is it different? The role that media, that brands play in in people's lives in China, or is it is it similar? I think there might be a probably, and I'm guilty of this, a slightly ignorant thought that it's got to be simple in China because you can just do old fashioned advertising. But yeah. but how sophisticated is the market, and what role do brands play in in people's lives? Yeah, it's a very very good question. I think China, no doubt, is very complex. It's it's. You'd be surprised how similar actually China is 
you know, to what's going on here, really. People, in fact, actually, this day it's probably leading the trend. TikTok was really hip in China in the beginning of 2000. I was writing an article about how this live streaming and transform live. And here we are a year later. This is what happened in TikTok here yeah. in the UK as well. So social media, I think, really changed how the landscape works in China. You know, advertising, marketing, traditional, all those kind of omni-channel in China was uh, in the eight, in the early 90s was, you know, all the advertising agencies opening in China. But really, I think from mid-2000 or 2010 onwards, social media plays a much, much bigger role in China. And what are the key social media platforms, educators? Is it is it similar to over here? Is it very different? I think lots of people have heard about WeChat. Um, yes. Bring it to life. What, what are the big ones that one needs to know about? Yes, so... I guess it's, it's, it's your, you know, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube here in the West um, and, and Facebook. In China, you've got WeChat is this master app that has everything, you know, from WhatsApp to social media, like your Facebook feed uh, to now they have a highly functional video op- op- option as well, like TikTok showing short videos as well. Um, so really WeChat is your super app, whether you're right. doing B2B communications or B2C, that's the app you've got, you, you have to have. Um, but equally, there are lots of parallel platforms that are very popular in China. So obviously, you know, talking about YouTube, Netflix, Amazon Prime, and in China, you have all your equivalent, if more competitive, even right. just similar to YouTube in China, there's Tencent Video, there's IT, there's Billy Billy, you know, there's several competitive platforms. So it's are there new ones arriving all the time as well? And yes. So, and just a, a question, probably out of far too much minutia, but we've sort of seen a reemergence of audio, whether that be a renaissance of podcasts, whether that be uh, apps like Clubhouse. Is audio still a big part of? Chinese media consumption across social media. Oh, huge, huge. Yeah, I, I would say like kind of audio is taking even a different level in China. You're know, just talking about kids market. You've got Himalaya, which is a, similar to, you know, a bit like Spotify, that kind of streaming okay. platform. But people also host their own shows there. Um, right. But but in China, there's also lots of ad tech companies building their own like mini reading audio gadgets okay. where you know the parents can buy and then play for their kids so so it's just taking a very very different level uh, a bit like alexa you know here and then in china you have it's called like little ice little fish which is okay. equivalent and you know so all those kind of ai i would say technology orientated things uh, chinese consumers are very enthusiastic about and this plethora of social media platforms, this huge media choice, what does that mean for the end audience in China? Do, do you see huge, if you like, a rise in figures of consumption one month and then is it is it fairly stable? Is it different? And also, how do you think it's affected the youth audiences in China? I think platforms in China are totally multiplying and it's changing. They're probably going through a every four to six month cycle. Yeah. 
So you know, taking kids market, for example, uh, at the moment, actually from 2019 onwards, uh, even throughout the pandemic, one in three books sold in China now is a children's title. Right. Wow. Which is huge. And, you know, the kind of licensing that you talk about, like theme park, Lego just announced they're building two theme parks in China alone. You have amazing kids IP brand like Auctionaut, a building themed aquariums in China. Wow. It, it's crazy. Like the kids, like fashion market is double digit growth. It's just, there's a huge demand, I think, for content, but a huge opportunity, a huge, well, equally huge population of kids. It's so, going to grow, really. So different names for the leading platforms aside, f- forgive me, maybe this is a too simplistic, but it sounds like the media outlook is very similar. If you're looking at theme parks, you're looking at fashion, you're looking at... So actually, it, it sounds very similar to the distractions, the media consumption of, an, of a youth audience here in the UK. But I'm guessing... Is the tone slightly different? Is it a tonal difference of how a brand or a or a media owner may want to communicate with the audience? Yes, you're right in the sense that it is very similar here. You know, there's people get distracted by all sorts of things all the time, and and that's multi multiple channels. But I think in China. As I mentioned before, the trends, the things are changing even one, yeah. even more faster. It, it's, for example, I think for kids sector, just for children's books, I think in the first six months in 2021, uh, over 50% of those books are sold through live streaming. Wow. You know, I- so it's, it's not just... Um, so the platform, yes, we're talking about e-commerce, but it's that one step even further. That's it's not just buying through Amazon. It's not just I've, I've, I don't buy in physical stores anymore. I buy through online. It's it's buying through live streaming. And but the thing is, those trends also change very quickly. So consumers yeah. are, are very disloyal in a way. I understand. Um, so it's harder for media owners to operate just in one platform. You have to have your fingers in multiple pies really okay that's a good analogy so when brands are approaching the chinese market what do they get wrong what are the what are the things that they don't do that they should i think it's like we talk about i guess a couple of things is one is brands need to be authentic yes. right you know for especially for a market like china they know they're very different and lots of the brands that be you know very well established in the west and been introduced to china much later stage so it's really consumers looking and, and they understand, you know, China used also totally different social media platforms and, and they want the brand message to be consistent. They want what the consumer get here in the West, what the Chinese consumer gets as well. So okay. you often seeing those kind of scandals on being magnified through Chinese social media is a brand offering certain saying high quality product. Um, and yet the Chinese consumers spot that actually ingredients for their Chinese product are slightly different from the West. Right. Understood. Um, and that's been magnified. And, and that kind of double standard is something that the consumers are very wary. And, and really with the social media and everything is kind of, it could get viral very quickly. 
I've heard about Kit Kats in China and about how they have loads and loads of different flavours that you might not think. And whereas <laughs> over here in the UK, a Kit Kat is all about having a break. Whereas <laughs> in China, it's it's a message of love and positivity. Is is that a good example of a brand being authentic and getting to understand the Chinese audience? Or are, are there any others? What, which other brands might we not expect are huge <laughs> in China and they've changed the way that they're speaking to their end audience? <laughs> well, I think that's a, a good way of, I guess, saying it. It's, it's one, I think, I think there's two levels. There's the stor- storytelling, um, you know, culturally, for certain genre, there's there's actually not so different. Like you know, yeah. lots of international brands that are finding huge success in China. For kids like early preschool, you know, kids doing kids brands are doing hugely well in in China. Like uh, Thomas the Tank Engine to you know Hey Dougie or Peppa Pig <laughs> are doing extremely well. But like you said. Actually, sometimes when the brands are doing a really could be rooted in a different culture, but being accepted by the audience to a slightly different way. For example, Peppa Pig, I would say here in the West is, is all about entertaining, right? Entertaining yeah. the kids, being messy, being funny. But actually, surprisingly, you know, when, chi- when Peppa Pig was introduced to China, it was actually uh, viewed by parents as a very educational IP, Wow. Okay. Well, for, for kids to learn English, you know, to kind of speaking speak authentic British English. Yeah. Um, and also that was, you know, in in mid, I would say, 2015, 16, when China introduced the second child policy. So it's all about, oh, what do you do as a parent who grew up as a single child generation? Yeah. What do you do when you have your second child? How do you deal with that kind of sibling rivalry? Um, you know, that kind of emotional changes mm. between you know, for your kids. Well, show your kids how to read Peppa Pig, see how George reacts. You know? yeah. <laughs> so so it's all those things are very, very different. Because um, traditional, I would say traditional Chinese storytelling, is a, there's a huge emphasis um, on emotions. You know, it's, the story is always quite, if you look at the classic Chinese stories, so quite meditative, you know, slow paced. Okay. Um, exploration of emotions, love, um, you know, kind of um, being being loving your parents, being respectful. Those are the values that really celebrated in that culture. That's fascinating. Peppa Pig and, and Kit Kat say, who knew? <laughs> You've mentioned authenticity. You've spoken about the social platforms. What what does authenticity mean to Chinese people and what does authenticity what should authenticity mean to brands that are about to go into this territory? I think like what we talk about, you know, brands, yes, needs to be authentic. Yeah. But I think for markets like China, another important thing to think about is it needs to be locally relevant. So I, I think for, for brands to really succeed in China, whether you have, you know, actually made the market entry uh, to be authentic and yet locally relevant are important things to remember. Um, Alicia, what's the what's the campaign or the bit of work that you've done that you're most proud of? Which is the one, I'm sure this is like asking you to pick a favorite child, but what <laughs> is, what, give us one or two if you like, but what, what are some of the things that you've worked on that have, that have really succeeded and, and flown in China? Um, we, 
I guess there's lots of work that we've done for clients not quite onto the market yet. So we can't, you know, kind of yeah. really say name the brand, but I can say, give you an example, the brand, I guess, uh, rephrasing the way that we're involved in, but I feel also a, a great international brand that's doing really well in China is um, Lego. I think yeah. it's, you know, one of those classic brands that it's, it's only being introduced to China much later you know, kind of, it's probably 15 years ago, actually, when, you know, people, Chinese kids born in the 90s were probably just first, but they didn't really grow up with Lego. So it's a new concept. And like here, it's, you know, people, generations is introduced to the kids. But I thought the brand, it's, it's interesting, it's, it's tapping into a few different things, like saying brands need to be authentic. Lego's got a huge commitment to education. It's keeping its commitment to that when it's moved to China. And Luckily, education is in China's DNA. You know, yeah. Chinese parents love um, educational toys or everything else. And yet it has to be locally relevant. By relevant, I'd say it needs to find something to really have form a direct connection to the new generation. So what, what I thought was interesting is Lego last year launched a new toy it's called a toy range. Um, it's called Monkey Kid. It's their first toy. It's actually inspired by uh, the classic Chinese story, Journey to the West. And this new series is clearly doing very well, not just only in China, but worldwide as well. I saw this on Tencent later last year. There's a new uh, animation coming up as well. So they've you know, touched really all the multiple media channels and working with a good, I guess, a international team to put together this, this new concept that... Um, combine that kind of contemporary commitment to education and yet bring wave in the, the Chinese heritage, which being a Chinese national, people are genuinely very, very proud of at the moment. So let's pause the interview with Alicia because I'm lucky enough to be joined by a rocketeer. Yes, someone that works at Rocket. I'm joined by Sophie Thurlwell, who is our head of brands. Sophie, thanks for joining us. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. So first of all, uh, I wanted to talk about some of the things that Alicia has mentioned in the interview thus far. But before mm. we go into that, could you give us an outline of some of the case studies, some of the things that Rocket do as it relates to social media and some of the themes that Alicia has touched on. Yeah, of course. So we're split into two teams here at Rocket. I guess the brand team, which I look after, a huge part of our job is audience insight and understanding trends in how families and young people are engaging with brands. And then we feed that into the campaign team who are day-to-day -day activating campaigns across platforms in the US and the UK um, and obviously in other parts of the world too. So, I mean, it's hugely important for us to understand how audiences are engaging in different territories. One thing that's really clear when we're helping universities market themselves is that students in the UK will have completely different interests to students in Europe and around the world. For example, students in the UK might be really interested in hearing about the, the accommodation and the lifestyle that a university provides them, whereas in other territories, you know, the opportunities to travel and the tuition might be of, of utmost 
important. So yeah, it's it, we can't have a, a one campaign creative fits all for clients here at Rocket. I see. Life would probably be a lot easier if you could. Just jumping on to one of two of the things that Alicia was talking about. The reason we got her on Rocket Fuel was to showcase some of the differences and some of the similarities. I mean, what do you think that we in the UK market can learn about reaching youth and parents from China and from some of the things that Alicia was saying? Mm. Yeah, it was it was really interesting. I was toying with the fact that are are we playing catch up with China or are they playing catch up with us? Yeah. Um, and, and Alicia saying that now that they have the third child policy in China, it's as though brands are playing catch up and parents are now seeing more and more demands for toys and and things to educate their children with. So there's a huge demand in China now for more family products. So I think the speed of which they are developing stuff and and not being afraid to try new things is something that the UK can probably learn a little bit from. Yeah. Like Alicia mentioned that the Octonauts are creating a themed aquarium. I mean, that that puts brand partnerships on another level, doesn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, and something that we should probably be um, encouraging our clients to do more of. Think, you know, think bigger picture. Don't do an aquarium um, collaboration. Mm-hmm. Build your own. <laughs> but yeah, really interesting stuff. I guess the other thing that we can learn is Alicia said that 50% of book sales are coming from live streaming, which is just something that we're not seeing those numbers of just yet in the UK so what can we do with that is 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 it about taking more chances and pushing clients outside of the comfort zone and and pushing brands to do stuff that they wouldn't usually do here in the UK it's interesting that financial press in the UK and, and anybody that kind of looks at big business they've toyed with the facts around breaking Facebook up down to its component parts, and yet flying in the face of the adversity for that is WeChat, which mm. sounds like it's one big uber social network that all that caters for all things that the Chinese audience can want. Who's got it right and who's got it wrong? Should we be breaking it down? And, and what do you think... UK audiences would do if they had to adapt to one massive monster own social network. Yeah. So I think firstly on on the first point is that audiences in the UK, they use the social channels for different areas of their life. Mm-hmm. So they don't use Instagram in the same way that they might use Twitter. And, you know, even the way that they communicate with friends. Snapchat for younger audiences is used in a different way where WhatsApp might be used in iMessage. So I think just because we're in a habit doesn't mean that audiences in the UK wouldn't be able to adapt to it. I asked my brother, who is 21, last night, how would he feel about having all his apps centralized? And he said, oh, what, like a folder on my phone? And I said, yeah, Mm. essentially like a folder. You can still access the different platforms within that this one app but it would all be under one kind of space I guess on your phone and actually when we chatted through it I said Tim you know you can make payments with this you can chat to friends you can chat to family you can be in social and I think actually the ease of that would be really appealing to people. So it's time for Alicia's rocket fuel, some practical insights, some some demonstrable takeaways for you, our listener, 
about youth, parents, students, yeah, youth audiences. Alicia, let's start with a big question, and you can choose to answer this in any way you would like. What do you know about young audiences? I think young audience, I'm talking about, you know, Chinese young audience, they're young in terms of age, and, and, and really young audience in China, especially the kids market, they're not just kids, they're parents as well. <laughs> you know, they're young as in Asia, in China, generally people tend to have kids much earlier than in the West. It's quite, the average age, you know, in their mid twenties. So it's, you were talking about 10 years younger than the Western audience really. That is amazing. That is a good stat. What do you think is important and what do you think will change next in the way that Chinese young audiences are behaving? Well, I think we're moving on from the millennial generation to, you know, Gen Z now in China, in the in the people born in the 90s. And, and this is a generation that actually born in the, an era that China is very open up to what's going on internationally. Lots of them have studied internationally. But now because of the pandemic, you know, things been paused in a way. People got back to China. So, so in a way, we're going to see an interesting time for international brands to trying to engage with this generation because they tend to be very, very, I mean, it's quite generic to say, but lots of them are quite nationalistic. You know, people are proud about their own heritage. So it's, it's a way to balance those two you know, kind of being international and yet locally relevant. That's a fascinating state of mind to be in. I mean, you're talking as a Brit who is faintly embarrassed by anything that's patriotic. It's almost (laughs) encouraging. It's an incredible difference, isn't it? Yeah, totally, yes. But, you know, having you know, said that it is pretty hard to be Chinese. You have to grow up learning Chinese. It's not an easy language to learn. Sure, yeah, I understand. Finally, Alicia, just one takeaway for everyone listening, whether that be part of the conversation that we've had or or just something else you would like our audience to be aware of. What's the one takeout that everybody should walk away from our conversation with? Well, I think working with China, really, China is complex maybe complex china may be complex but connecting is a way forward in business i think better communication is the key to do business with china especially today you know i think with we, we kind of all been living with uncertainty in the past 18 months yeah and yet i think what we know for certain is that chinese consumers are optimistic about the future great Okay, yeah. I get it. Alicia, it's been a fascinating conversation. If uh, if our audience wants to get in touch with you, where do they find you? Where's the best place? Oh, they drop me an email, alicia at singinggrass.com. I'm also on Twitter, just you know, search Alicia Liu or on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Alicia, just one final question. Where does singing grass come from? I meant to, uh, I meant to ask that right at the top. Yes, it's actually inspired by a book called The Grass is Singing. Again, my grandfather is by a British author called Doris Lessening and, and uh, my grandfather introduced China in the, in the 50s, 60s. It's, it's about racial difference. It was back then, um, you know, about British women uh, being in South Africa. How amazing. Yeah, but one thing I, I really remember reading that book, it's, it's about talking to natives, you know, sometimes it's, it's an interesting guessing game. Mm. That, um, and, and in a way, I feel like growing up 
in China in an environment that's totally different from here in the UK. And, and yet, you know, find my life here and, and trying to help brands to engage with such a fascinating market. There, there's a bit of synergy with, with Singing Grass. Brilliant. What a great story. Thank you. I'm pleased I asked that. Alicia Lee, thanks so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, James. Thank you. I told you it was a good chat. That was Alicia Lee. Uh, We learned loads there, I think, and some really good points she raised. Do come back to us in a fortnight's time. Uh, More great episodes to come in this series. Also check out the back catalogue. And if you think anybody that you know could benefit from listening to this podcast, then make them aware of it. Or you could always do, and I know everybody asks this, you could always do with writing us a decent review and giving us five stars wherever you get your podcasts. See you in a fortnight for some more Rocket Fuel. This is Rocket Audio.